So. Und so. Oh, check da. What is happening? Made in A to Z are back again. It's not even a new week, not even a new proper episode. But we addressed in the last episode that we were supposed to have a guest. His laptop went into the inferno that is Windows Update. So we, we couldn't do it on date, but uh, it was still prepared. And, you know, you just don't want to throw away all those nice discussions, right? So uh, with me today, no Eric, but Pete. Hi, welcome in. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very excited to be uh, on this yeah. episode. One more drummer, uh, but uh, I yeah. guess first and foremost, to be transparent, uh, an old friend of mine. I, I was just now shopping before recording today, and I was thinking, when did we meet? And it must have been 2002. Yeah, it's. I was thinking about this uh, last, last couple of days ago, and it's like almost 18 years or something like that. Yeah, I think about 19. We tried out for a band with uh, Tobias Alpadi, who today he plays in Vak. Today he plays in Vak and in uh, what's the name of that new death metal band? Harrowed, and then uh, yeah, and then many Harrowed, other bands, okay. of course. Harrowed with the drummer of Dead Lord, but uh, we tried for his old band, Harvest, and we 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 yeah. sucked. Uh, we sucked big time. We didn't completely suck because they had a drummer before you uh, that I also tried with, uh, who's going to rename uh, unnamed for his his own sake, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I remember him asking Tobbe, who was already in music high school, he asked him, how many seconds is this break? And then he was fired. <laughs> and compared to him, you were gold, right? So that's how we met. But, but we yeah, still didn't I, get into the band, and that's where our uh, playing together started, which haven't really ended, you know. We've been going no, off since then. Yeah, uh, the, the, the bass player in the, in the band we were um, trying for, he actually was very nice and... He had patience, and he—I think he saw something, you know. But um, in the end, we tried for two weeks, and yeah, yeah we did—we we didn't get on the bill. <laughs> Got fired, so we started a new re reject band. Yeah, <laughs> that happens sometimes, right? So, yeah, and that was the start of it. And uh, yeah. also, yeah, that bass player uh, Johannes Setteberg, also worth checking out. He has his solo records, Fusion. A great bass player, great, uh, phenomenal musician. Also, like I think he's on first name basis with. Eric, who guested us, Eric Arca, the other bass player. So they're, they're in the bass yeah. uh, overall community. But uh, yeah, we're not today. It's like, uh, feel like I've been here before. So we're going to have a deja vu, deja vu today. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because me and Eric already discussed it, you know. We, we've, we've already been in on it, but we also hinted that it's your favorite Maiden song. 
Is it still? Oh, it, it's great. It's uh, absolutely the top 10 in my maiden list. It's such a great energetic track and um, a lot of feeling. I mean, the intro just gets that build up going and um, it's, it's a phenomenal track. Um, and as a drummer, it's quite interesting too, right? It's it's the hi-hat work and a lot of frenetic uh, single uh, bass drum playing. Uh, I mean, the, uh, all, all the parts have a lot of bass drum, bass drum going, going on, but it's not with two feet. And that's it's pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually mind-boggling. It, it, yeah, it's pretty fast. And it, and it, yeah, mind-boggling and it's powerful um, in, in, in a very high tempo. And uh, I mean, the, to- the total... Um, outcome of the track together with the great melodies and the great vocals uh, and actually very good lyrics um, necessarily the lyrics aren't like a bearing point but yeah i mean uh, all together it's a great great track from the start to finish we used to laugh at the lyrics but when we did the episode today the actual episode we were looking at them and we got in on deep discussions about parallel time continuums and stuff you know, so it's, it provokes questions and ideas without being... He's not flexing his English vocabulary, let's say. It's very simple stuff, but no. an interesting scene opens. So what do you think about the lyrics? The lyrics are... Yeah, they, they are describing uh, the phenom- phenomenon that is uh, déjà vu. And um, the chorus is catchy because it just repeats the same lyric all the time. And I, I think thematically... It fits the song so well feel like i've been here before all the time and i mean the build-up to the chorus is excellent suspenseful verse suspenseful bridge and then that thing yeah and it's all all quite somber but still you have the feeling of pulse and the the feeling of being alive but still it's very dramatic everything yeah, and I really enjoy uh, yeah the slice of uh, the drama. It's nice. <laughs> it's uh, very nice. Smith songs often have this overlying sentimentality or uh, uh, slightly sad. But and then Murray, I tried to. What's Murray's thing? And I was thinking, is it melancholic a bit? Yeah. But I ended up on clandestine. It's a bit hidden, you know. Secret. He's the secret yeah, that's guy. An interesting yeah. fault. What do you yeah. think about that? You know, the tone of it. I believe it's uh, everything is very more much more blues to it. I mean, just the intro, it's a free time blues intro, or, or at least the lead in the intro is very bluesy. It just fits in this song in particular because none of the other songs on the album has has that kind of intro um, with just that sweet sweet blues lead guitar just painting up a picture that you're going to take off somewhere and it's uh, it, it hits you quite hard when the tempo just breaks and you have that uh, quite aggressive onbeat uh, drum going in with uh, with um, with the nice nice melodies uh, which are as said before very dramatic and it gi- gives a lot of suspense check this one out uh, I'm talking about this. This is a fun clip here that I found actually after recording the interview, uh, the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and listening to this in in MIDI, it, it uh, just this song 
Uh, I haven't even come to the the best part in the song is the melodic. This um, is pretty cool. <laughs> but this is also very Mega Man. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, this song is so so much yeah. Nintendo eight bit. We gotta hear the chorus also as well. Pretty simple verses. I like that simple singing. Yeah, but it, it builds. So this is the pre-chorus, which sounds a bit odd here, I don't know if he made a mistake or something, but the chorus kicks ass. Pure Mega Man. Yeah. And then the harsh on-beat. Uh, yeah, it's very energetic. I mean, the on-beat... I, I, I think... The on-beat makes the song uh, having the feel that it has. It could be ha ha half-time or yeah. um, or um, off-beat, but man, this is this, it gives such such a energetic uh, yeah. feel. It's great, and with the me melody work, it's. I mean, uh, I just love this song. Uh, and obviously, we touched yesterday on the fact that it's so Mega Man, and uh, Mega Man Two, the, the game I played the most, was released two years after this album so obviously these japanese guys studied yeah. it they studied it and they programmed it and uh, i talked about how for me maiden sounded like Mega Man because i was in contact with Mega Man first and it's pretty much how i got into heavy metal <laughs> through Mega Man. and then this song encapsulates yeah. that yeah very well you know you could uh, actually listen to a bit of uh, of Mega Man music as well just for reference here let's see Mega Man orama there we go Bluesy intro. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously it's it's so much made in there, and uh, that's like kind of it makes me feel how much I'm st I'm still born in the '80s, even though I didn't really experience the '80s. Maybe you so you did a little bit more. You're born in '84, right? Yeah, '84. Yeah, but I think you, we experienced the '80s. The year of Power Slave. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but I think we experienced a lot of the '80s through. Um, Nintendo music or Sega, if you were into yeah. that. I mean, it, it, all the all the all the video games we played encompasses everything that happened in the new wave of British heavy metal, early '80s, and all the all the Japanese composers who went to went to compose music for Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, 
those guys were sh- for sure listening uh, to Maiden, and I think somewhere in time, the record, I think they listened to that a lot. Definitely. It's, yeah. it's so fitting for their style, and I thought as we're on this nostalgia train or the train of reminiscing, we always ask the guests, I almost forgot because I know you quite well, but we always ask them, how did you get into Maiden? What's the early Maiden memories and maybe like how the fanship developed over the years up until now? I'm, I'm a Metallica, Metallica guy at heart. Uh, that's why I started to play drums. Thank you, Mr. Lars. Um, I know that guy has a hard time among, among drummers, but um, I started drumming because of him. So... Therefore, I um, listened to a lot of Metallica in the in the beginning, so I didn't pay so much attention. At what, uh, at what age? Uh, twelve. Twelve. Oh, yeah, twelve. I was twelve. Um, so, was there any music before that at all? Yeah, I listened to the Beatles because of my my father, and um, yeah, a lot of pop music. Abba. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, ABBA was around, but it was more on okay. the radio, I guess. Um, but more more pop music, but. But a lot of the Beatles I heard. Uh, Michael Jackson. And, oh yeah, Michael Jackson. Yeah, I forgot about him. But yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of Jackson. So here we have the inter- interesting dichotomy then, Metallica versus Maiden. Because that was kind of a thing. In, I, I'm listening to this Norwegian Maiden podcast that I drop now and then, Gamal Maiden. And where they have a lot of celebrities, yeah. they have like politicians from the actual government in there talking about, talking about our right. Maiden. That's pretty cool. And, you know, uh, rock stars from from left and right and uh, they often discuss how like in the small smaller communes of Norway it was a choice either metallic or maiden and it could even be that one smaller commune was a maiden commune and another small commune was a metallica commune <laughs> this kind of versus hmm. situation tr- i sort of experienced that i think i've said that before in this pod that i when i started listening to maiden i was just like i love this band but why aren't they a little bit harder they're not as hard as metallica and it bothers me it's a problem you know so uh, yeah, for you then, how was it? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's two of those things. I mean, it's both things, um, as you said. Uh, it's not as hard as Metallica. Hard meaning mean or heavy or hard, hard edge, uh, heavier, yeah. not hard, difficult, uh, yeah, yeah, not heavier, difficult, just to be clear, uh, yeah. more like just heavier. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, not about technique, not, not at all. Heavier and meaner and, and angrier and more dissonant. You know, all of those things. More, just more, yeah, more aggressive energy yeah, than Maiden. Definitely, um, without a doubt. And it and it su- suited me quite fine. I mean, the first record I listened to was uh, Load, so it's quite the other way around when you're saying that you uh, listen to Metallica from the start. But I mean, Load was just recently released when I was yeah. 12, so it's quite natural. <laughs> Thank you. 
it's kind of like starting with starting with no prayer for the dying similar to that you know you're starting with the yeah. band doing some kind of rock and roll type shenanigan uh, way after the fact in a sense but uh, it's a pretty cool album load uh, I, I like a few songs on it like yeah, at I, least I, six songs i really dig on that one it's a bit long it's a bit long but it's a great album so <laughs> i cannot <laughs> i cannot discuss that but uh, you know fasting forward slightly maiden comes in are you then not are you non-impressed when they come in they're not they're not heavy enough or what happens uh, when I st- when I started to get into heavier music, of course, Maiden goes along because they have a lot of songs that are historically great for hard rock and heavy metal. So it's hard. Not so what did to... you hear at first? You remember? Yeah, I uh, yeah, it was the Trooper and. Um, and uh, of course, uh, "Run to the Hills." I'd never liked that song, and still to this day, to this day, I do not enjoy that song that much. It's a bit, I don't know, sporadic or something. It's, <laughs> yeah, let's call it sporadic. <laughs> <laughs> it's always hard with adjectives, you know. Sporadic is a pretty good one, I think. It's also a bit odd, though. It's a bit odd. That's why I like it. It sticks out. There's no other song that sounds like that one, whereas "Breaking the Law," which I love sounds more like it could be several other songs yeah good good point yeah run to the hills it's it's uh, it's not like any other maiden song um, or any other song actually or any other song yeah that's that's the main point i i think as you said it's a weirdo it's a weirdo but okay you this comes in and you're thinking it's pretty good but it's not as good as metallica or you're thinking this is weak or what's your reaction and it it i mean my reaction is I kind of like a lot of melodies, but it's it's something missing in my youth, then youthful mind. It's something. It's it's not on par with Metallica. And at this point, I I have I have been getting "And Justice for All" as my favorite album, and the first Maiden song that I really enjoyed is "Fear of the Dark," and also um, oh, "Afraid of Strangers." Uh, yeah yeah the lead the lead the lead work i mean i could get past the first part of the song even though it was a bit boring or something but as as soon as that lead started started working i was all for it you know Um, yeah that lead was again the reason that i started to play electric guitar funnily enough i never played that lead (laughs) so it's Mm. it's like the northern northern star i'm following it but i'm not it i'm not doing it I, i can play it it's in f sharp minor so it's a bit hard to remember the the fingerings because it's not in E, so it's all like a little bit different. But uh, I've played it, but I don't really play it. Funnily enough, the reason I started playing was that link. Now, now that you mention it, uh, I've never heard you play the lead in. No, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, almost like it's, it's almost like yeah. it's too much respect for it. It's almost like you don't draw Muhammad kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> really, awesome. actually, yeah, yeah. Like a, there's a proper comparison in my on my end there. <laughs> 
But yeah, so okay, you're getting, you're not really getting this maiden craze at no, all. No, no, no. I, I just right? uh, no, no. I it just I I I get bits and pieces of it, and uh, also it's that I heard about the competition. You're into maiden or you're into Metallica. That yeah. that question came up from a much older dude who was like 15 years older than me, and he grew up listening to maiden. He and he told me about this comparison. Um, yeah. Like you have either this or that, like hard rock or synth, and yeah, exactly. And, and and I thought, okay, so I guess now it's even a competition, even more. So I guess I like Metallica and I hate Maiden. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that suits me perfectly. And then where did you go from there, Meshuga, or where did it go? Oh yeah, the next next step was uh, Cannibal Corpse. And, um, <laughs> That's a statement <laughs> step. I had a drummer, my first drummer, Bjorn. Which you, you may have met him once or twice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Later I ended up in uh, Zombie Space Pirates, um, like a Billy band. But uh, he was always like, I mean, he was a little bit into Maiden, but he preferred Brave New World and Bruce Solo stuff because it was heavier. And he was really into Cannibal Corpse, showing it to me all the time. And I was like, why? You're just listening to this to be to be metal, you know? It's not even good. But of course, I've changed that opinion. But it's a statement kind of band, I still think. You know, so metal, yeah, the hardest. Yeah, yeah. If you if you're really looking for something heavy, I mean, Cannibal Corpse is the way to go if you want to talk about heavy and go in, do, dwell into the most the more extreme parts of uh, heavy music. That, that's where I was going. So Maiden was not a natural jumping-off point to no. listen to more, more metal or more hard rock. It was, it was not heavy enough. Um, so Maiden, I mean, I missed Maiden. If we, if I say I list, listened to Metallica since since I was twelve years old. Uh, I, I didn't start listening to Maiden until I was 22 or something. Yeah, really, really, really listening to it, and it it was quite an interesting learning curve because it um, it had to do with me and you and uh, a friend of ours, Fredrik uh, Segel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had just moved to my, I had just have move, moved out from my parents and um, got my first apartment. And I refused to install internet. Yeah, there was no internet. Yeah. And we're talking here, which year are we talking here? We're talking 2007. About seven, about yeah, then, yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's an age where everyone had internet, but you didn't. So this was an offline no. apartment. And I haven't really said this before in the show, but I've, I've got into this band three times. First time as a kid, through my cousin, half year younger. Second time is now. Uh, not now as in speaking, but now as in the story. Uh, yeah, together yeah. with uh, Canopy, then uh, our band, which still somewhat exists in the background, but that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> but uh, no. yeah, <laughs> no. Fredrik was there. It still exists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, that was the second time uh, for me getting into the band after kind of wavering a bit. I wavered around 
Dawns of Death and A Matter of Life and Death, I've said before, didn't even attend the shows. But I've still managed to see them uh, six or seven times, I think, since I, since the first time, 2000. But um, yeah, you need a bit of draw to get into the band again. And in this case, it was like the meeting of us three, because he was added as, an, as a new guitarist to the band. And I knew that he liked some melodic shit. And you two hit it off with your weird personalities. You know, they were they yeah, worked yeah, together yeah. in tandem somehow. And then he, he we could, as a, as a three-piece then, we could kind of explore Maiden. And we were sitting in this, in your little apartment, but a nice little apartment, you know, not a not a shabby one, uh, in, a, in a fairly okay part of Stockholm, but without internet. It, it, the, the, the best part of Stockholm. To, kind of, kind <laughs> to of. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, I, kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, socially, economically, yeah. The most, the most rich part, yeah, but not, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, yeah. you know. But yeah, we were in early <laughs> 20s, just started to play had played abroad a little bit at that time. So we had had discussions about, yeah, let's hang out. And uh, yeah, Devil's Lettuce was in the picture as well, firing a few bongs at that time, and then getting into Maiden from that perspective, instead of just being a kid, you know? Yeah, and I, I want to remember um, the, those, those Maiden meetings, because it developed into meeting up, uh, have two or three records set to listen to, and I had my sister's old Pioneer CD stereo. Uh, yeah. sounded uh, pretty good in that room. It worked for the room. Uh, yeah, and the, I, the stereo sounded good. The sound quality was nice, and uh, we just listened to Maiden records one after the, the other, and it was in in the discography from the first to the last one. Yeah, and we did that during a couple of months. I mean, a half six months or something. We listened to all all their main records from beginning to end. And the last record was The Final Frontier, I At that think. time, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Which we probably didn't give a proper chance. I, To be honest, I still haven't really given that a proper chance. I'm going to listen to it on a listening party on vinyl on Friday. So that's a, Ooh, a new proper nice. chance for that. I know there's great moments on it. It has proggy moments, cool, odd time beats and stuff. But as an album, as an album, it's kind of hard to keep track. It's kind of hard to keep interested. It's a bit weak of, uh, of an album, I think. The only thing I remember from that uh, listening session from the Final Frontier was, man, this intro though. Why? <laughs> what are they building up to? It's so long. <laughs> it was. It was not suspenseful. It was more annoying because I don't know. Satellite, something satellite fifteen had to happen. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's an old one, and it's not even on a separate track. You can't even skip it. You have to listen to it to listen to the title track, which in itself is maybe not the best song they've done, but it could have been an okay rocker, but it's kind of weird to tack that on. But anyway, that's a bit into the future for this podcast. Yeah, it is. And back to the uh, young male yeah. dudes, uh, nerdy and uh, with a little bit of help from our friends. And <laughs> that, that was it, you know, <laughs> listening to those albums. But it was a really good, that's the thing with Maiden, because the third wave for me was just now like uh, maybe a couple of years prior to starting this podcast, I got into them again through, and then started with vinyl stuff. And again, we've been having these listening parties going through the whole discography. And it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving its, its own little universe, in a sense, which I think Metallica is as well, and Black Sabbath in a sense, but Maiden has that particular thematic-based uh, discography that makes it very adventurous in a sense the, the, yeah, the arc of the adventurous band. adventurous is a good word describing a lot of highs and also a lot of lows yes but so does metallica <laughs> and sabbath to be fair you know metallica and sabbath are also uneven 
I think, uh, of course, of like, course. In my opinion, heavy metal, I like it when it risks itself, you know, when it is a bit uneven. Because as much as I love ACDC, Slayer, and Mishuga, those bands are maybe too even to have that. You know, I like the risk factor of maybe this shit is not going to float. You know, this is taking the chances. And I think Metallica is doing that. I think Maiden and Sabbath also. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, the evenness and the, 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 um, and the what the fuck is the word? continuity of a band versus the adventurous nature that's interesting we we could go back to cannibal corpse sure They do the same thing over and over again. That's exaggerated, but still they sound more or less the same. Yeah. Nothing much happens, nothing new under the, under the sun. You know what you get with each Cannibal Corpse album. You might like different albums from Cannibal Corpse because of personal reasons or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, Iron Maiden and Metallica and Black Sabbath, they all take chances. So it gets a bit more interesting in the sound escape of of the whole of the whole affair but can i mean cambo corpse is very streamlined um maiden i mean when i started listening to maiden before our meetings or started 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 to hearing maiden for me it was still streamlined i couldn't figure out all all the dynamics or uh, all the differences between tracks I, I i heard from time to time it was it's all the same it was in my mind but still i could listen to metallica one one album and say ah this is magnificent it's very diverse and you have a lot of uh, different styles of tracks but you also you also uh, kind of do you know it's, they are adventurous in different ways because maiden are more formulaic in a sense but also they're not so formulaic in a sense because they we had songs on like uh, dance of death last week uh, without any repeating phrases i mean musically some yeah. repeating phrases but not vocally or lyrically uh, rhyme of the ancient mariner just continues on like an Great old track, school yeah. poem there is a chorus to it and it's a debate what is the actual chorus which is a very interesting ongoing debate where you have to dig back into old uh, old forms of music to figure out what what was a chorus, the meaning of a chorus before was not that repeating catchphrase, but more so the sentiment of the whole song. And I still don't remember which one was the proper one in rhyme because it's so far away in our intenary. But I think it could be something like uh, "See on what she goes, on what she moves out of the sun." 
that that could be the actual chorus of the song. Yeah. Uh, so it could, yeah, they they stretch things, but they are also very rooted. It's an interesting thing about this band. Yeah, and and also, I think instrumentally in Maiden you could have a chorus. And if we if if we go back to uh, uh, Deja Vu, I mean, yeah. the, the the melodic um, the melodic part after the second chorus, it's phenomenal. I'm you and you also you you also get the the phrasing on the china symbol that creates another melody uh, yeah uh. it creates it binds the melody together with with the drums it's just so excellent and for me that's the chorus because it's so mm, okay. powerful so that's the chorus uh, rather than feel like i've been here before been, so uh, you you rather find like that's the hook or the chorus yeah, interesting take. Yeah, um, because I, I get I get the most from I get the most um, vibe from 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 the melodies yeah. after the second chorus because it's it's very nicely uh, put into the song and also with the harmonies on top. The second half, it's just yeah, it's great stuff. And talking of Murray. Uh, not long ago, we we were hanging out listening to uh, the A side of No Prayer. There's two Murray songs on that: Public Enema Number One and uh, my favorite track on the album, Fate's Warning. Also on uh, Still Life, you have the great uh, no on Peace of Mind, you have the great Still Life, and yep. uh, on uh, uh, let's see here on Killers, there's just a side track Twilight Zone, which is not on the album. On Iron Maiden, it's Charlotte the Harlot, which is not great. So, but I mean, he still had. He's the clandestine member, he's the secret member, the secret card. On Number of the Beast and on Power Slave, he has no credits. And in my opinion, it pulls those albums down ever slow, ever so slightly. Like, you need yeah. that little Murray fix. Even on Seventh Son, which is a, such a good album, his song is not the strongest, but it, it makes the whole better. The prophecy, that is. <laughs> yeah, so I think yeah. uh, that's why maybe Power Slave was never your favorite. There's no Murray, there's no hidden secret track on it. It's very... Bright and it's open. very very ha- Harris. It's very Harris. Harris Smith Dickinson, you could say, but uh, Harris Smith, yeah. heavily heavy Harris, and also like Smith Dickinson with uh, two minutes uh, back in the village, Flash of the Blade. Uh, but uh, it lacks. I enjoy something. Flash of the Blade. Two minutes to midnight. It's that was uh, never your favorite. It's no. such, such such a long song for enough, no payoff, in my opinion, of course. Um, and I got into it uh, lately, later, but it's like uh, for me, it was more like you had to find uh, within the riffs, you had to find like uh, almost separate them, and you find a. find the colors yeah. you know it's a lot of color in yeah. it but it's a saturated song I mean power slave overall Sorry, Power Slave overall no. quite an, a saturated album. It's the first Maiden album that sounds with this massive mastering type sound. 
Not that it's nowhere near the loudness war, which would come 20 years later or 15. But uh, in summer in time, kind of continues that. But we discussed this with uh, producer, mixer extraordinaire Don Svana a while back in this pod. That summer in time yep. doesn't have much bass. So there's still plenty of headroom. Uh, that goes for Power Slave as well. Maiden is not very bass uh, led, you know. And I'm talking about no. the frequency here, not the instrument, yeah. because the instrument is all over the place, but it's clucking above. Yeah. And uh, Summer in Time has a very dense, also very saturated sound, but not overpowering. It kind of works on even a shitty speaker, I think. Yeah, yeah. Talking about production, Somewhere in Time has the nicest sound among a lot of albums in my opinion man it's such such a slick sound crisp and just uh, imaginative because of yeah. the guitar synths it it paints pictures and it gives you this um, sense of uh, foresight and sense of um, travel and wishes coming true yeah. you know without getting too far ahead of myself but the sound is just magical. It's cool, even though they never go in full uh, concept mode. I mean, famously, not even Seventh Sun is a full concept record. But uh, there's so much of that time concept leaking into this album. You start with Caught Summer in Time. We've been on that song, so listen to that episode for the full breakdown. You have wasted years, you know. That says itself, wasted years. Sea yeah. of Madness, perhaps not so much. Um, you know, more about society, I guess. And then uh, Heaven Can Wait, of course, about uh, time, mortality. Uh, yeah. The loneliness yeah. of the long distance runner, you're running, the clock is ticking, right? That's your op opponent. And it's a, lo a long, long distance. Yeah, it's your opponent, <laughs> is time. So that works too, right? And, uh, and then you have uh, Stranger and Strange Land, uh, that's also time, you know, you've been away, you're back, or you've never been this place, but now you're here, you know, you moved in time. No, you moved in space, and time and space touch each other. Deja Vu, uh, we've been on, right? Uh, the parallel times and all that. And Alexander the Great, uh, just a time piece. Yeah. <laughs> time in history. Yeah. yeah, but all of the songs, except for maybe Sea of Madness, follow the thematic, I think, quite nicely. Yeah, and it's not a uh, thematical uh, album, but still the production and the sound of it sounds very thematic. And uh, it's quite interesting because you can read in a lot of a theme between the songs just because of the sound yeah uh, because of the synth guitar you could say even uh, alexander the great is a great travel back in time or yeah exactly yeah. it's uh, so, somewhere somewhere in time that i think it's somewhere in time it, yeah great title great title And uh, yeah, one thing we didn't touch on in the episode was the, the guitar solo, so we could afford that sometime now. Alright, so coming in from the main melody, halfway through the song. Then you have the rising part. And a bit of military action. The best in the maiden. Yeah, they're good at this.
this is, as you say, this is awesome. Yeah. And with the keys, the very simple keys, or guitar keys, guitar synthesizers. And I like that they elongate it too. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect for the part. Yeah. Oh yeah, they do the hook again. Yeah. They take their time. You can tell that they haven't been looking at the structure in a computer. Oh, there was no solo in that one. Did I miss it? No, there's no solos in this song. Oh shit, there's no solo. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Correct. Wow, it's just the intro <laughs> solo. That, that's yeah. pretty cool though. I like that, you know, because uh, I mean, for me as a guitarist, I was never really, I was never really the solo guy. I felt that they could be a great uh, peak to a song or a climax to a song, but not necessarily. Like here we have what you call the your chorus of the song as the climax. Yeah. <laughs> It's be it's beautiful. Wow, there's no solo. That's a revelation to me. Like still learning new stuff, even though I've kind of <laughs> digested this band over and over, through and through. And that's that's one thing I I wanted to say earlier. You always find something new, yeah, in the details or in the overall uh, uh, the overall. Uh, I mean, the music overlay of the whole career or. A lot of interesting touches yeah. here and there. but So one thing I thought about, since it's your favorite Maiden song, a fun thing is let's put it up against the, the Titans. Like, uh, why is it better than Hello Be Thy Name? Yes, I've been um, contemplating about uh, this question. And I mean, Hello Be Thy Name is one of Maiden's best songs. And to, together with... A couple of others, but um, I wouldn't say Deja Vu is a better song, but for me, it's a better song for some situations, or I mean, in some some aspect, it is a much better song, or the best song. Yeah. But Hallowed Be Thy Name is still, yeah, it's one one step bigger than this song definitely a bigger song but i still think like uh, it's not unreasonable of you to put deja vu as your favorite track definitely not but i guess part of it could be the hidden gem appeal as well that is you unearth this this hidden treasure from the maiden discography rather than going for an obvious one that they play live all the time hello be the name they've never played deja vu no, they never did. Uh, even uh, even at uh, somewhere on tour, they only they played every song except this one and Alexander the Great. So, yeah, that's right. Actually, every song, even Sea of Madness. Yeah. at that time, even Sea of Madness, they did play. And so we've been on that show before. That it's so sad that they didn't record it. They recorded every show up until then properly, like even Killers stuff right uh, even like yeah. live at the rainbow 80 81 that kind of stuff so this was the only time that i guess they felt that we've done live after death and we don't want to be repeating ourselves so we're i heard i heard that ron smallwood was a part of this rod and he uh, ron rod rod i'm oh, sorry okay, wood you small can cut rod. this out <laughs> wood small rod no he actually uh told harris that they 
shouldn't record somewhere on tour mm-hmm. because of they were fatigued and uh, they wouldn't waste their energy or resor- resources on on that. And Harris yeah. is quite sad for that. Yeah, and I mean, even, that- even when they did the kind of, I call it the Golden Years tour, but it was called Somewhere Back in Time tour. Even when they did that, they just did Heaven Can Wait and Wasted Years. And I've seen both of those on other set lists as well. Good songs, especially Wasted Years, but hey, where are all the tracks? You know, they're not mm-hmm. touching them. They haven't been since 80, I mean, on 7th Tour, 7th uh, Sun World Tour, they already only did yep. those two songs. And ever since, they haven't touched anything else of the record. So it remains maybe the most untouched or uncelebrated record of the classic 80s records. It, yeah. it does, it yeah. does, it does. Like even Killers, they play more because they play Ratchet all the time. And the only only songs they play from somewhere in time is Wasted Years and... Uh, Heaven Can Wait. Uh, Heaven Can Wait, yeah. 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 And even on, the, even on that tour on the um, Somewhere Back in Time tour. They did only those two songs. But of course, then we got stuff like Clairvoyant, we got uh, uh, Sometimes Evil Let Men Do, so they did, and Moonchild, they played as an encore. And Moonchild, yeah. yeah. Great yeah. as an encore, better encore than opener track. Because I saw them doing it as an opener, it was weaker, because that song relies on the hit at the start. It's, it's not a builder, you know. It, when you go into the I am he, you want a good sound. And uh, they didn't have that ready when they opened with it but when it was an encore it was beautiful makes sense you even if you are one of the biggest bands ever doing a live show the first song maybe you want to have as a part to mix and make all the details right yeah. and the sound and set it straight before you go into uh, pieces of music that really n- needs to be supported by a strong live sound. Yeah, I have two favorite uh, maiden uh, openers. Could you guess of, from the shows I've seen? Two of them. Oh, this is not a fair question. But uh, <laughs> the first guess, um, one of them is an opening track. The other one is an opening track, but off the B side of an album. I know Invaders is the opening tracks, but they never the play A that. side. They never <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, you're on the right no, album I, there. Number of the Beast, I saw them open with once, 2003. That was an incredible right. opener. It has the build, so Sound Guy has plenty of time to make the finishing touches as they build. And the other one was simply the Wicker Man, which sounded great. You know, Smith comes in, you got the heavy toms, down, 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 down. Also, yeah. plenty of time to build and see that everything works. Whereas Moonchild was more, more difficult, and they had a tape intro. But when it was uh, yeah, when Moonchild it's, it's, was an encore, they didn't do the tape intro. They brought up an acoustic guitar. Uh, Bruce sang uh, the Seven Deadly Sins part. Way better, way better. You know, setlist. That's an art. Yeah. that's an art in itself. And like leaning back to your favorite there, Lars Ulrich, King of Setlists, the best. Gr- a, it's the a fucking great, best. Uh, yeah, it's just great. Can't get better. Um, Can't get better. So much for the fans. Still a lot of new stuff. Like they played, I think all of Death Magnetic has been played live and most of Hardwired has been played live. I saw this list the other day. Uh, Metallica songs never performed live. Not many of them. <laughs> Not many Escape. of them. Escape is one of them, no, right? Yeah, no, it's been played now because they did entirety uh, yeah, of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So okay. now it's like Ronnie and... A few others, you know. Ronnie is a favorite of yours, I know. 
Yeah, Ronnie is a great track. I enjoy when people say it's shit and I just say, well, I enjoy it. Yeah. How about that? Down and down, down and down, 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 down. Ronnie and Deja Vu, you know. <laughs> mm. Hipster picks on your end. Yeah, yeah. It's it could could sound like I made these picks last week because no one likes these songs, but these songs I've been listening to for quite a while, you know. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And we have another yeah. we have another track today that you have not been listening to for quite a while. Going from uh, my year of birth 86 way up until uh, the last Iron Maiden album Book of Souls and the opening track of the second CD. They did a double album just as Metallica did. It was a thing, I guess. Yeah. And the opening track of the second CD Death or Glory. This tune about uh, the Red Baron. I kind of yeah, like we prepared for the actual episodes. I forced you to get into that one as well. So we might as well talk yeah. about it a little bit. Um, the song itself, uh, it, it has like it has this promising Iron Iron Maiden start. It's the intro is a bit short, a bit uh, hurried. I like the intro though because it sounds like a propeller. You know, you really see the picture of like you're you're starting up the engine the engine on your Fokker triplane and. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to war. So it sounds it sounds like something is happening. Yeah. And then the first first riff comes on or the first beat with the riff and um it it actually builds quite the suspense, I think. And then the verse and the first I mean the lyrics are Yeah, I mean we talked about this song and I also put some of your input in there that well, how the shuffle beat can become an infin- infinity beat that doesn't really go anywhere. We talked about that. I mentioned that you really liked Smith's guitar solo, which is an obvious thing. You know, we were frothing over that one in the episode. You can hear us sitting like making sexual noises as we listen to it. Like, oh, it's a it's a it's a se- it's a sexy solo. Yeah. I mean, and then the pre-chorus it's, it's, is, is good too. And uh, one thing they did that I also mentioned in the show: a lot of repetition today feel like I've been here before, but nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of repetition yeah. today, but uh, also the, the um, pre-chorus, uh, unlike A Matter of Life and Death, when Bruce was bragging about being this one mic, mono signal, uh, pretty much one take guy, here at least yeah. they worked on it. You know, there's plenty of voices coming in very yeah, nicely. Yeah, it's actually the, uh, Lift the song. voices. Makes the song yeah. more interesting. It could have been really bland. It's still a bit bland. I'll give you that. We didn't put it on our top fifty list, not even as a candidate. I mean, we don't love it. Reason. We don't love it, but you know, as you play parts of it, you get you like the sound of it. I, I think the production on Book of Souls is absolutely excellent. I think it sounds oh, really this, good. The, this, the snare drum is a no pun intended blast to listen to. The yeah. sound on the snare drum is yeah, it's excellent, and uh, I, I like I, I like the fact Nico McBrain has his. Small and larger toms from left to right, but they they change the panorama from left, and his larger toms go to the left in the stereo stereo uh, scape. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. That's what I heard what, in the song, at least. So they make some kind of three sixty panorama, almost. Yeah, yeah. The bigger toms are on the left side hmm. in the in the stereo picture. Wow! But he he doesn't have any toms on his left side no. on the drum kit, hmm. so. That's what I heard in this song, at least. Yeah, I didn't know that. I don't mind it, but it's a bit strange yeah, in my ears. Yeah. But I mean, overall, the production, I think, on this sounds very raw and live, 
but in a good way. It reminds me of peace of mind in a way. It sounds stripped down and straightforward, a bit gravelly, a bit dirty, but clear, you know. So uh, I like the sound of the album. It sounds really good. And uh, uh, yeah, as, again, we've been on the music pretty much. We've already discussed that. So I thought we could glance on, on the th- theme a bit more, the lyrics of it. This Red Baron character, do you know who the hell is that? Uh, he was uh, uh, born from a, a family that uh, hails from Preussen, uh, uh, Preussen, uh, a part of Germany. Germany before uh, Germany, if you want to have a dumb explanation. Exactly, and um, so he was of some sort of n- nobility. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was uh, in the cavalry in the German royal or the kaiser german army during the first world war but he adopted uh, air warfare um, two two years into the war because i i can just guess i haven't read so much about his character to say too much but i think he enjoyed the thought about doing battle in the air because of uh, man against man uh, warfare, not uh, creeping around in trenches, being shot at by artillery and machine guns and charging headlong into enemy trenches. So um, he got into an uh, aeroplane and started shooting people up in the sky. And uh, I mean, during the First World War, there were no rules in the sky. So more or less, they saluted each other before a battle and then they started shooting at each other. Mm-hmm. So it it's much more like knights. Like duelists, almost. Exactly. Air jewelry. Yeah, a duel to the death. Mano, mano, humano. <laughs> mano, um, mano. And machine and machine. <laughs> yes. Because and, uh, like the lyrics uh, reflect of, how he talked a lot about his machine as well. It can climb like a monkey, dive like a devil, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, his poetry surrounding this machine, this triplane. Yeah, no, the only thing, um, not the only thing, but one of the things in the lyrics that I don't enjoy that much. Uh, is that live to fight another day, another day? The Red Baron was shot down and killed in France, so he didn't. <laughs> but how many? To fight but how day. many days did he have though before being? He, he shot down eighty enemy planes, confirmed kills, uh-huh. and then during two years of war, uh, about. So he had some so days. He, was, he had some days to live and fight. Yeah, he had, yeah, yeah. Uh, much more, much, much more days than a lot of other soldiers yeah. in the field, but still he didn't survive the war. So <laughs> yeah. live to fight another day. No, he didn't. He did not. I know that a lot yeah. of military geeks and military fetishists uh, fetishize over this character from our motherland, Finland, uh, the, the sniper from the winter, winter war. Yeah. Yeah. Who killed how many? <laughs> um, 540 confirmed kills are about all with his tiny rifle, right? During 100 days of combat. Yeah, against Russians in winter Finland, basically. No, November till January, about. Uh, and he got cold wounded during the last days of war, yeah. but survived. The, yeah. the kind of, the, the, what everyone is frothing about is that he, he would hide his own breath. So he would hide the, the fumes of his own breath by putting a filter of snow and ice in front of his mouth as he was hiding and sniping. Yeah, because enemy snipers could could actually see your um, water coming out of your mouth or the fumes. 
Vapor. During vapor, a very yeah. cold weather. Yeah, vapor, yeah, thanks. Um, and uh, he knew exactly what to do. And he also uh, splashed water in the snow in front of his gun or in front of his position. So the recoil of the rifle uh, or on the gas gas pressure from the bullet leaving the rifle wouldn't um, throw up so much snow so he would um, reveal his position so mm-hmm. he had a lot of tricks how did he do that uh, with the with the actual rifle when the gun recoils and you throw up a lot of loose snow yeah. up in the air he he just poured water so the oh, water okay. would go yeah would freeze because it was so very cold during the ah, winter war. so he used like an ice shield for the recoil splatter effect. Yeah, uh, under underneath the barrel of the rifle, he would uh, he would produce ice via water yeah. on the snow. Yeah, that's obviously a field that you have in common with Steve Harris and Bruce Dickinson. That uh, we have that saying in Swedish, like "militärt överintresserad person," uh, where you're really into this military stuff. And I'm not, but I I did work in the army museum and I got interested in it even though I'm, I'm always leaning more to culture and philosoph- philosophical history. But it's, it's really interesting, actually, even, even if you move past the or a- actually, especially if you move past the technical stuff and you get into the human stuff surrounding war and, uh, and warfare, uh, you, when you go down to the personal and the nitty-gritty of it. I think uh, Steve Harris is pretty good at that. Uh, Afraid to strangers, the portrait of a man that is going to go and kill strangers, not because he wants to. Actually, he's afraid to do it. But he also says, you know, what's the word again? Uh, might as well go now, you know, because there's no way yeah. turning. He's not turning back anyway. It's decided. It's his job. So might as well do it right now. Yeah. And do, if you turn back in that moment, you will get shot by your by by a court instead. Yeah. Because you're deserting, and that's no good either. So you actually don't have so much of a choice when performing your duties. Yeah. Whereas this Red Baron character, he feels more like a war artist, you know. He's making art of it. I mean, with his uh, nobility inheritance, I believe there's another another way of thinking. He wasn't as much as a soldier, even though coming from from a Preussian, but also a gentleman and a devil there and mm-hmm. a daredevil. Um, yeah. So he had much more to prove for himself than to anyone else and. When uh, warf- uh, warfare in the air was a completely new thing. I mean, before the First World War, people sure had balloons and maybe could drop a bomb or something, but no, no one had a plane that could go quite fast and shoot guns and drop bombs and shoot at other guys in planes. So it was such a new concept that I think it quite enticed this type of character that uh, the Red Baron was kind of experimental phase you could say in terms of air warfare yeah baby phase baby phase warfare yeah started in the air baby phase Um, war airfare air warfare (laughs) (laughs) baby phase air warfare yeah Yeah. correct yeah it's cool and of course fitting to maiden we talked about that last episode that uh, in our opinion they are allowed to do as many aviation related songs as they wish (laughs) at this point because you even have Harris with Aces High and Tail Gunner, and you have Bruce with countless ones like uh, Coming Home, Empire of the Clouds, uh, this one, Death or Glory, uh, many more, I suspect, you know. It's, it's, it's fitting for the te- theme of the band, and as I said in the last episode, Ed Force One, Flight 666, 
you know yeah, they're just yeah. they are in the air they're they're almost like yeah. the, old, the old brits were conquering the seas you know rule britannia britannia rules the waves and bruce and harris they're going for the skies yeah they don't, they're not like water or something they they don't like the ships and drowning it's much better to go go out in the air or something yeah well, there's some beauty to it there's some beauty to it there's some kind of uh, theme or or feel to it and i think it really works for for heavy metal you know uh, but many things do actually i mean i'm not even against pirate heavy metal running wild that works oh, under Run jolly roger uh, good song uh, it's a good it's a great song actually um, and I, I it's a lot of a lot of running wild wild that is um, i mean it's just heavy metal but yeah if you like heavy metal and if, and if you like pirates the pirate theme <laughs> yeah it's it's awesome yeah uh, and the, i mean the ma- the front guy's name is uh, rock and rolf so it doesn't <laughs> get much better <laughs> rock and rolf yeah that's beautiful <laughs> beautiful name and i thought as we're as we're kind of concluding this uh, also i wanted to th- talk about your what you're active in right now yeah, like your your most active band would be kal that's uh, spelled call but with k and it's kind of uh, i guess death and roll or indie oriented kind of stuff uh, previous members from Life Lover. Yes, yeah. Previous members from Life Lover and uh, the bass player ha- played with uh, Shining for a brief time and uh, Craft. Craft. Last uh, album. Last album was released last year. I mixed that one. Uh, brand or yeah, brand. You did brand. If you brand. Want so, brand. So that's the most yeah. uh, most recent one, and then. I guess you're biding your time playing drums uh, as often as you can master. Yes, uh, I I play with a, a cover band and um, we rehearse with Cal sometimes. Right now, because of the pandemic and everything, we cannot play live, so we don't rehearse that much because because of that. But and there's a lot of personal stuff going on for for the members i mean constantly uh, constantly since the start uh, right pretty much it's just a, yeah we're in the start more or less well, even i mean if since the, band, the start of the band there's always been some personal it's part of it i guess with with that type of, of gang of course but it's a good band so i guess that could be the plug for for this guesting for this episode to check out brand if you're if you're into that kind of alternative metal it's pretty rock and roll as well it's actually. a lot of a lot of things yeah <laughs> It takes time to listen to. I would, I would guess. Yep. Maybe. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that's where we are now. We may need to see. We've had a few drummers on. Stefan has still not been on here, but he's not into podcasting, so I guess he will be on. Maybe playing in the Made Need to Z band that he thought could be a good idea. Yeah, that would that would be awesome because he's, he's a great drummer. He does so. a very good Nico, and then we have uh, Henrik with us as well, also a good drummer who does good both Nico and Clive. But he's um, he has that self critique that is quite common among musicians. So I have to yeah, get him yeah. out of the of the closet in that one. But uh, uh, it's a pretty good drummers band, isn't it, Maiden? It has a, it's not a boring drum band. No, no, not a, not at all. Um, Very free in a sense. I mean, Clive, of course, is more regimental, whereas uh, the Nico is more artistic. I think in the way he rhythmizes. Nico has has a bit bit of tips and tricks you should learn to to make the best out of playing a maiden drums um, at least from 
um, peace of mind and peace of mind and so forth. But uh, just learn the tricks, and you could emulate playing nico drums in maiden i think yeah clive burry is much more punk so he's harder to imitate maybe or what would you say yeah absolutely i mean clive burr he, he, he's got the dynamics of course but it doesn't compare to nico mcbrain that much i mean nico mcbrain is much a much more schooled drummer and you can hear that uh, so in in one sense Clive Burr is harder to emulate just because of it's not all technique. It's more like willpower. Arm drummer, you know. One one thing, I've been watching a lot of drum covers of Hallowed Be Thy Name just to check out what does the drummer do when they do the cover. And all the eight notes on the hi-hat, everyone does with alternate hands Two so hands. they go with uh, right left all the time chaka 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 yeah when you check out the lives with clive burr or the listen to the studio recording it's just with one hand half time feel right hand and right. they do the uh, uh, half half time feel but he does all the eight notes on the on the on the right hand yeah um, and it i mean you have to have a lot of power and uh, at, at least a lot of stamina but when you look at him play it's a lot of arms so you yeah. would get tired to emulate that. And also, I think he had problems with uh, amphetamine use. And maybe that could rely, you know, maybe he started relying on that, you know, to, to stay tight, to stay uh, uh, solid and consistent in his uh, fast uh, one hand drumming, you know. Uh, that could be a theory because apparently, like him and Steve, they were quite the opposites. That uh, Clive was uh, shy on stage, just trying to do it right. And then afterwards, he was this party animal, maybe because he was loaded or wired at that point. <laughs> wired, yeah. Oh, sound, sounds reasonable. Yeah. Whereas Steve was Steve was a monster on stage, but shy outside of off stage. And I think that was part of the um, the beginning of the end for Clive in that band. And it's been debated a lot how he was fired. Like it's not really clear. Some people say he went to see his sick dad and was fired as he did that. Which you know is kind of morally gray, you could say. But then again, how do you how do you manage a metal band if not morally gray? I don't know. I uh, uh, yeah. In the long run, I mean, Maiden has been around for s- such an impressive amount of time. So coming up at fifty years, uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't think you can do amphetamines and uh, keep up with playing live. 170 times a, week, a year for a lot of years in a row it's not manageable you're gonna crash at some uh, point and I, I guess he did and i guess it was not in favor of steve you know and then of course i uh, like it's very obvious that uh, nico dave and smith uh, meddled quite a bit with the old cocaine afterwards but they at least managed to keep it afloat somehow and i mean it's uh, so many rock stars did in the 80s uh, they they came through. I think it's only Bruce and Steve that has this kind of uh, different attitude towards it. That they a little bit of drinking afterwards, but n- nothing else. Um, uh, they they are sports guys, so they know what um, yeah this stuff does to uh, to do physical activities. Yeah. Well, 
these two songs now with double episodes feel like we've been here before <laughs> the, feel like we've been here before oh the yeah. shavu is on our top 50 list and the third glory is not but we, we kind of still gave it an honorary uh, nod and a wink it's not a bad song it's not a bad song has something to it right a bit hurried the hurried feel yeah i think they didn't yeah. spend aeons writing that I have a feeling no. that that was a day, you know, bang yeah, it out, yeah. just bang it out, even with the lyrics, which are pretty good, but one-way train, perhaps, um, you know, as we say in yeah, Swedish, well, emer well, emergency well, well, rhyme, you know. Yeah, why speak about trains when you're, you are on an aeroplane? Uh, what could you say, so one-way lane? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One-way pain. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, on no. the, that's a good uh, note to end on. One way pain, and uh, we have we found another couple of songs that you can be on, so you can actually join us for real with uh, with Eric as well. So it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward forward to that. Yeah. Uh, nice, nice, and thank you for having me. Now, uh, uh, it went it went fine. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it. Uh, we're going to be back next week again. We're continuing on the Ds. Uh, some interesting songs in there and uh, treading along. We've had, we're going to get more continents as well fairly soon. Guests from new continents. We have, we have Europe, uh, we have Asia. We're going to get a new one and then possibly a new one on top of that. So let's look forward to that. And uh, as we say, Skål from the North, up the irons. Hello. Hello. <laughs>